Welcome to Laws of Legacy. I'm your host, Delana Barbie, the Around the Way Lawyer. I help everyday entrepreneurs like you protect, build, and secure their assets and leave a lasting legacy. Each week, I'll bring you information on the legal, financial, business, and other topics to take you from hustler to boss. If you're down for the ride, buckle up and listen in. Before we jump into this episode, remember, even though I'm a lawyer and legal topics may be discussed, this is not legal advice and I'm not your lawyer. This is general educational information to get you thinking. Speak to a lawyer if you have any questions about your specific situation. And with that, let's get going. So on the last episode of the podcast, we talked about people going into business with one another and things that they should consider when they're doing that to try to prevent conflicts. We're going to continue on that theme this week because it is around Valentine's Day. So we should talk about relationships, not just romantic relationships. And so on today's episode, what I'm talking about is how to prevent conflict through contracts. And specifically, we're going to be talking about contractors that you might be bringing on in your business to perform certain professional services and things to think about in relation to that as well to help your contracts be clearer. Of course, in this podcast, I can't be comprehensive and I don't know every single situation that's going on in your specific circumstances. That's what working with a lawyer is for one-on-one, but I can help you to start to think about some of these issues that should be covered in many contracts where contractors are involved. With that, I guess I'll get started. The first thing you want to think about are the deliverables. What are the key deliverables that the contractor is being brought on to provide to you? And those should be documented and expressed in the contract so that it's very clear. You may even want to add a description of the deliverables because sometimes, you know, just calling the deliverable what it is doesn't fully describe what you expect. So, for example, if someone is going to take your notes and create slides, that's what the person has been brought on to do. They're helping you create presentation materials. Maybe you have expectations around the length of the slides, how many slides they're going to be. For example, maybe you have an expectation that the slides are going to be on a particular platform. So are they made in PowerPoint? Are they made in Canva? Are they made in some other platform? So those are all things that you can clearly express around the deliverables. Now, number two, a second thing that you might want in the contract is when the deliverables are expected to be provided to you. It is extremely important that you document expectations around the deliverables. And so when are they going to provide it? What's the timeline? All of that should be clearly stated. The third thing is, what are your approval rights? So going back to what I mentioned about describing the deliverables. So again, if you say, hey, I want these slides completed for my presentation without anything else, but you had other expectations, if it's not documented, technically they may have fulfilled their duties, right? So if you document, hey, I want it in 
PowerPoint, if they don't give it to you in PowerPoint and it's just like in Canva or something like that or some other platform or they put together the slides in PDF, but you really wanted it still in PowerPoint, you can have the opportunity to not accept the deliverable and say, hey, I'm not accepting this. I have the right to get it in the means that I said that I want it. And that's just one example. It could be something more complicated than that. But clearly you want to state what it is so that you have either acceptance or non-acceptance rights, which goes into my fourth point. What happens if you don't approve of the deliverables? So let's say that they give you a deliverable. You had your description of what the deliverable should be. And you say, hey, actually, nope, this is not what I expected. This is not what I want. What happens next? Are they recreating it still on your dime, meaning that they are charging you again to recreate it? Are you going to actually get it recreated at no cost so they don't actually charge you to recreate it? If they recreate it, what's the timeline? Do they have, let's say you gave them 10 business days to complete whatever it is that you wanted. You get it. It's not what you want it. Do they get another 10 business days or do they get some shorter period of time to complete it? Do you have the opportunity if you don't approve it to actually cancel the contract because you didn't approve it? There are so many different things to think about when it comes to approval. The fifth thing I want you to think about is the term of the contract. So what is the term? Is it one year? Is it six months? Is it three months? Is there an option to renew the contract or does the contract just end at that point? These are all things to think about. The term of the contract is, of course, important because you both might be bound to certain obligations. So you want to be sure that it clearly outlines what you want it to be. Sixth, who owns the deliverables? Do you and that individual own the deliverable? Do you own the deliverable and you're licensing the deliverable? They have the right to use it. And if they have the right to use it, what's the parameters around those rights? Seventh, is the payment for the deliverables hourly? Is it milestone based? Is it deliverables based? Consider those things too. So what I mean by that is, is the payment going to be deliverable based such that they only get paid once they provide a deliverable and you pay per deliverable. Are they going to get paid by the hour just as they create the deliverable? They rack up the hours. They give you a bill at a certain period of time, whether that's at the end of the month, every week, whatever the case may be. Or is it milestone based, meaning like maybe there is multiple deliverables that goes into a bigger project and there are multiple pieces of the project. So they actually get paid at this milestone, this milestone, and this milestone, but there might be multiple deliverables within each milestone. Who can provide the work? Let's say they also have other staff members. Are you okay with them having the other staff members do the work or do you want them specifically to do the work? And if you want it to be them specifically to do the work, well, contractually, you might want to say that you want them or if they have a particular person on staff who you love, you can say in a contract that you want that person to work with you. And it could even be that one person works on one deliverable or one milestone and another person is going to work on something else. You can document all this in the contract and make it what you want it to be. But without that, you might have the expectation that a particular person is working on it and that person is actually not doing the work. So if that's important to you, that's something to consider. Who pays the expenses is the next thing. So that's number nine. 
Sorry, wasn't saying numbers, but hopefully you were keeping track. Number nine is who pays the expenses. So there's travel, there's printing, etc. Who's paying all that and how is that coming out? Will it be captured in what they are getting paid? So are they using the example of the presentation slides? Let's go back to a time where there were more in-person events. And the person that you hired not only creating the slides, but they are actually supposed to print off physical copies of the slides so that you have them available for your in-person presentation. You have to then reimburse them for the cost of the paper and the ink. Or was that built in? All of that is important. Travel. If they have to travel to drop those off, are you paying for their travel or is that built in? There are many different things to think about in that respect. Number 10. What is confidential information? So you want to make it clear what's confidential. Sometimes in contracts, it'll say something to the nature of whatever a reasonable person would have suspected as confidential, that is confidential. Could be up for interpretation. Who's the reasonable person? (laughs) Reminds me of law school discussions. But anyway, when we talk about that, if you actually identify what you're providing in writing, like this is confidential, that gives it more teeth rather than leaving it to a reasonable person standard. So you might consider, okay, when I give them this, I'll say it's confidential or in the contract specifically, you could still potentially say, oh, confidential information is whatever a reasonable person says. It is also anything identified as confidential. And you can say, and the parties agree that the following is always confidential information, X, Y, and Z to detail it because you already know as a part of the engagement that you're going to provide this stuff to them and you want it to be clearly outlined that it is confidential information so that they're not just willy-nilly saying it to people and giving the information out. Number 11, can they use your name as a customer or client? So are you comfortable with them going ahead and saying, hey, this brand is my customer or client? Sometimes some people's contracts will have that as a standard. So it's something to look out for if you're using the contractor's contract to see, are they trying to sneak that in there? And maybe you're comfortable with it, but maybe not. There's many things to think about around that. Like, for example, do you know this company enough to feel comfortable at this point when you haven't worked with them yet to lend your name to them and have your company associated with them? What does it look like? Do you have to approve it first? Are they able to use your name personally or are they using the company name depending on the size of your enterprise? So consider really looking at those terms if it's there. If for a fact, like, I never want them to use my information. I never want them to refer to my company. And if I do do it, it'll be on a small case-by-case basis. Then maybe your contracts as a standard says that, that you don't give those approval rights and that they have to get your prior or your company's prior written consent to ever mention your name or your company's name as a client. And then lastly, we want to address delays. So what happens if either party can't perform? So sometimes, for example, there'll be a deliverable and then you're expected to do something with that deliverable. So maybe you're expected to review and provide certain comments. Maybe you're expected to provide certain materials. What happens if you delay on that? So Is the vendor or supplier or contractor, these are all different names that sometimes are used for the same party, Uh, but is the contractor able to say, "Eh, I walk away if you are not giving me this stuff? Or is the contractor able to say, 
I still get paid if you haven't provided this stuff by a certain time. Those are things to think about on your end. Or for the contractor, what happens if they delay? Are you able to walk away and say, nope, are you able to get a refund because they delayed so much that maybe at that point, by the time they give you this stuff, it's not even needed. So you want to consider, okay, what's going to happen if there's a delay? Also in the concept of delays are events of force majeure. So when you think about that, you're thinking about events that are out of the reasonable control of the two of you, like a pandemic, unfortunately, a natural disaster, a blizzard, a flood, anything like that, for example. There are other examples too, like strikes are sometimes an example, but events of force majeure, when they happen, these acts that are beyond the reasonable control of the affected party, the performance of the other party be excused, and for how long, and what's the obligation while it's excused, do they have a duty to try to do a workaround, to try to make it happen despite what's going on, all things to think about in an event of force majeure. So again, on this episode, I've shared with you 12 different things to think about in an independent contractor relationship to try to prevent conflict and keep things going good because when it's not documented, you can't assume the other person's able to read your mind. It has to be clearly stated. I will say working with an attorney can help to craft a clear contract that will document clearly what both parties are expecting, specifically working with a business attorney who has experience in doing these types of contracts. I've worked on many, many, many contracts. If you're interested, obviously, in speaking with me, you can feel free to reach out at barbielawonline.com, B-A-R-B-E-E, lawonline.com, if you want to chat more about your contract. But I hope that this was helpful in getting you to start thinking. If this podcast has been good to you and you feel like you're learning something, feel free to leave a rating and review. I'm not sure of all the podcast platforms that have it, but I know that Apple Podcasts does. So if you're listening over on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a rating and review to let me know that you're loving this. And with that, we will be back with another episode. Thanks again for joining me. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss a thing. And I'd love it if you take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to podcasts, because that'll help others to find the podcast. Lastly, if you missed anything at all, if you're looking for a link to something or someone I've mentioned, or just for more, visit our show notes page. The link is in the podcast episode description. Talk to you next time.